Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also located on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation about the sermon from January 24th, 2021. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay, and joining me is Robbie. Thanks for listening, everybody. Glad that you're here. You, know, you never sound very glad. That I don't? No. That's my that's my glad tone. That's, mel- that's your glad tone. Okay, let me hear your disappointed tone. Like let's say let's say you're not you're not actually glad that they're here, but you know you should feel glad. Let's let's hear what that sounds. Hey everybody, I'm glad that you're listening. Well, that's no? sounds like you're unsure. I'm oh, saying I really don't. You really you're really not like uh. this. By the way, is one of the comments we got this past week. What's that? That they appreciate the banter, but sometimes it gets to be a little much. Well, I don't, we never, we never say, um, like who they are. Like we never, whenever we do a question, we don't typically say who it's from. No. Because, you know, there are national podcasts that can do that. And they'll be like, Tony H from wherever asks this. And there's a million Tony H's. Right. But in if we, our context. If we say Christoph K was wondering. Right. People will probably figure out who we're talking about. Right. So it would be it would be inappropriate if I said Lauren W had a comment <laughs> that our banter was sweet, but just sometimes a little too much. All right. Oh. Maybe just that's done. that's actually a compliment that I or or a critique perhaps that I re- receive quite a bit. Sweet, but perhaps a little bit too much. Yeah. But what I tried to explain and and what <laughs> so yes, it was my wife that gave that comment, which you know. Um, she's allowed to say those things to me. I, I explained, and she understands that we can't just hit the ground running. Right. We gotta, we gotta work, work up into it. Yeah, because the inspiration, if you don't know, the inspiration of this podcast was just about every Tuesday morning, Robbie and I would get into some kind of a theological discussion or conversation about the sermon or about uh, just whatever's going on, and Christoph said we should just record that just that and and okay but the beginning of that is usually nonsense yeah good news bad news the the preamble to fruitful discussion is typically a significant amount of nonsense yeah like for example i was feeling reminiscent last night and forced my 14 year old to watch um, theme songs intros to cartoons he watched as a little kid Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that might turn into like Dinosaur Train, which might for us turn into a conversation about creation and about Genesis <laughs> and about what is the what is the work that we've been given and, and is it still valid? That's good. That's an excellent example of family discipleship. Dinosaur Train. Dinosaur Train. You probably don't know that song. I don't. I'm not familiar with it. No. One. Yeah. We have different seasons of life. We were in different different uh cartoons indeed you missed indeed. out on backyardigans then man that's, i did miss sad. out on backyardigans. backyardigans is strong i wish i could contribute to this conversation but you keep referencing things that i have mm. no knowledge of whatsoever yeah dora yeah those are yeah those are the days those oh, were the days everything on pbs yeah pbs kids man when when my kids were little i looked at that and thought if i had this when i was a kid I would have only watched TV. 
See, I just I don't know that you're going to top Fred Rogers. Well, that's and if we're going to if we're going to talk PBS kids shows. Yeah, you're but... going to tell me Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is is nudged aside by Dora the Explorer? Well, Dora was not PBS Kids, so it shows what you know. Um, but by Arthur... I believe I've already established I don't <laughs> understand all the references that you're... <laughs> or Wild Kratz. Wild Kratz and Arthur. Oh, goodness. And there are other ones like Word Girl. Word Girl, yes. And they're, they're just helpful. They're educational. When, when you and I were kids watching cartoons, they were just a giant commercial to make us want to buy things that were bad for us. Don't you remember that? That's all Saturday morning was about. Peddling destructive wares to unsuspecting children and their parents. <laughs> I knew exactly what was going on. I I wanted all of those toys, even before they told me that I should want all of those toys, which is why I like going to my friends' houses, because I didn't ever get those toys. But they did. But yep. my friends, so I'd go to my... my, my uh, buddy patrick lewis's house where he would have like the gi joe aircraft yes, carrier i was just robbie i was just going to say that example that my friend brian beamer had the gi joe aircraft carrier oh Robbie. yep sorry yep. you can't script moments like that <laughs> that's that's 80s gold yeah. right there man the gi joe aircraft carrier every year i put that on my christmas list i just it. saw in Okay, well, this has already gone too far, but this, yes. this I promise, I this is my last reference. I just saw in, in Walmart that they have re-released the the G.I. Joe Cobra Hiss Tank. Do you remember the Hiss Tank? Yes. Re-release, I saw it on the shelf that in exactly blue? the same way that I saw it when I was nine years old. Did that take you back? Did you buy it? Instantly. I was tempted. My wife would not be pleased if I made that Man. impromptu. And it went snap on its purchase. own, right? Like it had batteries. She would be rightfully displeased. Yeah, couldn't it, if I walk home with, "Look what I got! I got a toy <laughs> that my kids don't care about." But didn't it have batteries? And it actually went. It had like a little motor. Oh no! Oh, then what's the one? No, oh, I have the GI Joe one that had that. I had oh, the track okay. And it, like it went, and then they in the commercial it would show it like scaling Mount Everest. Oh yeah, like, in the in commercial the it always is, and then you get it, and you're like, wait a minute, and I actually have to use my hand to push this thing. Yeah, and it, it just it would, it would go, it'd be like, but like a little small thing. piece of carpet, like shag carpeting, it couldn't go on that. This it could thing. climb over Mount Everest in the commercial, right? But it could not get through our living room rug. No, no, not if it was shag. No, which everything was then for us, for me. I mean, I was, I grew up for you. Evidently, you weren't, you weren't, you didn't have the same enthusiasm that I did when you mentioned the aircraft carrier. So I was like, oh, just me then? Okay. Anyway, that's not at all what we're supposed to be talking about and actually proved the point that people don't realize. But what they don't understand is this rather reminds me of the sermon this week. Oh, in what way? In that, in the, the anticipation of it is amazing. You feel like, oh, this will be able to help people climb Mount Everest, but then it actually gets deterred by just a little piece of shag carpeting. I don't think that's an accurate description of Sunday. I, I was um, I, I was excited about this just to, to talk about where we've been and where we're going, especially reflecting back. It was really interesting to reflect back on last year's uh, hmm. State of the Church address and yeah. what our charge was and how there just is no way we could have known what was coming around the bend. Um, that's phrase, right? Still? Yep. Okay. 
and I'll allow it. And so, so yeah, we we talked about the context of storm, the being in the midst of the storm. So we looked at Luke eight and Jesus calming the storm, and we did get a couple of questions based around that. Um, one specifically of somebody wondering why did I not talk about the peace that the disciples had in the midst of Jesus calming the storm. Hmm. You're supposed to ask mm-hmm. these questions. Oh, I am. Otherwise, it's me asking questions and then me answering them. That's okay. So we 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 discussed last podcast. My my primary role is to sit here and go, hmm. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was a question. Why why didn't I talk about peace? And um, in the midst of the storm in this passage. And the, the the straightforward answer is because they didn't have peace in the storm. Correct. When Jesus calms the storm, it says they were very afraid. They went from being afraid for their lives to being very afraid, like terrified, because, as we pointed out before, the only thing scarier than a giant storm that you think is going to kill you is watching a human being then calm that storm with a word. Right. So the the terrifying that I know, right, horrible thunderstorm is is immediately diminished by the terrifying that I can't explain, which is a dude who can control it. Like, understandably, it is a completely rational and reasonable response for them to actually be more afraid mm-hmm. after the storm is calmed than, than during it. And I, I think why that's that's important is... It's not that it's that's untrue. We do we do experience peace that surpasses understanding and we are told to, that we can experience that peace in the midst of those storms. That is a very important truth that we have. But in that text that isn't what they were experiencing. Now I could have gone into details about like well why aren't they experiencing it? Well they they give a hint in that because they don't know who he is. Like they're not sure who right. he is. So once you understand who Jesus actually is, which we now understand him looking back through his death and resurrection, so now we are able to understand in ways that those disciples could not who Jesus actually was. But in that moment, it's terrifying. And I would argue that for a lot of us, when we really do understand, if we understood clearly who God is and his you know, and his power and his sovereignty and all, then then our fear of our circumstances around us would be dwarfed by our fear of him. Certainly, who who he is, and and I would add to that that he is for them, right? Because Jesus respond like while we look at that and we go, I mean, he's it's rational to be afraid of that, and and once they realize that, they are more afraid of him than they are the storm. But then Jesus responses. Why are you afraid? Right. And and well, like if I if I put myself in that boat, my response is are you are you kidding me? Like why do you think I'm afraid? Because right. I've I have never experienced a human being who can control the wind and the lightning before. That is that is terrifying and so otherworldly. But then to understand that like well, yes, I I I fear that kind of power to then grow to understand but 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 he is for me like he is not against me he is for me that's what allows us to have that that peace and what we see later on in in the apostles is this the the peace that is beyond understanding because now they understand 
that power that controls all things is is with us and for us right yeah it's that it's that moment of freedom when you realize that the only one worthy of your fear is the only one who loved you and gave himself up for you right right so that's that's that whole so tension of be afraid like fear god but do not be afraid yeah and you know that look we've we've talked about that a lot in the i i think in the midst of those storms though we have to be reminded that if we are understanding the situation properly there is going to be fear in us because we aren't i mean the disciples they're not able to control the storm and they're not able to control jesus so either way they look at it they they're out of control and that makes us as humans uncomfortable which is obviously the that's part of the reason for the fall because we hmm. want to be in control we want to we want to be able to handle things and whenever we can't that gives us a moment of fear but when you realize the one who does have control is the one who has purchased you and and freed you and adopted you then then that changes things hmm. and so I, I guess one question I would have then off of that, Robbie, is it, it brings up another interesting point that we tend to we tend to read things we know about God into passages in Scripture. Sure. And, you know, sometimes that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It, it protects, it can, pro- I guess, well, that's uh, that would be my question. When is it a good thing to bring other things you know about God into your Bible reading? And when is it a dangerous thing? Um, I might need you to give me an example of a dangerous thing because I would have, before you asked this question, I would have probably said it's the, the problem is bringing in things about myself and my own preferences and my own circumstances and, and reinterpreting scripture based on that when instead I should be bringing in my understanding of who God is and allowing that to shape it. So um, so can you give me an example of where you would see like using, uh, you know, bringing in my understanding of God would, would negatively affect how I interpret a passage? So I do have one that comes to mind. Okay. People are really getting, this is all just half-baked right now. I'm just throwing these things out here, but uh, we're going to try this. I I would say, so first, I probably should have asked it more of other knowledge, not just about God, but okay. just other knowledge. But I do think that a passage that has come up a lot in recent times in saying, in trying to illustrate that Jesus, his care is for the person that he's more concerned with people than he is with issues and with making stances. Yes. And one of the passages that, that I'll point to is the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus first protects the woman and then does the whole mysterious writing in the sand right. and then says, you know, you he without who is without sin cast the first stone. And then one by one, starting with the older, they all go away. And then turns to the woman and says, uh, you know, is there anyone left to condemn you? And she says, no one. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so uh, what I hear a lot is people 
grabbing onto that last statement that Jesus says, go and sin no more. So then they read into that, that, okay, well, God is a just God and a holy God. And so sin is, um, it's what separates us and it is, um, and God hates sin. And so they're reading that into that part of the passage of saying like, see, but then Jesus, like his big closing statement was condemning the sin because God hates adultery. And so therefore he is condemning the sin um, and condemning this woman. Okay. That, that makes sense. So, so then what I would answer, how how I would answer that is um, the, the problem is not that you are, using your understanding of God to help interpret the the passage, but that you are pitting one attribute of God against another and and then arguing that one is better or more important, right? So so in that passage, we see the compassion of God demonstrated. We see the grace and patience of God demonstrated. Uh, and we see the holiness of God demonstrated, right? Because like Jesus doesn't, doesn't say what you did isn't a big deal. What he says is, I don't condemn you for it. Now I have something better for you and I go walk in that. So holiness is absolutely a legitimate aspect of that. And it's certainly all throughout scripture, but so is compassion. So is grace. So is patience. And as we discussed in the last podcast, God is ontologically love. His very being is love. So we also know that that factors in so to me, the problem I don't think is like looking at an attribute of God and interpreting the scripture through that. It's looking at one attribute of God at the expense of others so that I only see his holiness and believe that is the most important part at the expense of his compassion and love and grace and patience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can buy that. Okay. I just, I think that Another thing that I'm thinking about is how often um, how often I'll be tempted to fill in the blanks of what's going on in a passage. And I'll start oh, certainly. You know, reading into it with other through other lenses and applying things that maybe aren't always connected or aren't in the same context. And, and that's the part where I'm not bringing in God, I'm bringing right. in me. Right. Or my, or my understanding, like it may, right. sometimes it's bringing in my own preferences. So I think that certainly happens with that passage of the woman caught in adultery. Like if your bent is, I want to make sure that people know that what they're doing is wrong, then I'm going to quote Jesus in, at the end of that. But then you're not really understanding the passage as a whole and what's actually going on there. And, um, I think, I think that we, so we can bring in, yeah. So there's that side of it, but then there's also just my understanding of what we talked about this when we were preaching through Mark, how often we're preaching through a passage and then find ourselves going down a road of like, Oh yeah. And then he says this. And and so then that talks about that speaks to this issue in our culture and this issue in our lives. And then you go back and you realize like, Oh no, he said that in the account in Luke, not in Mark. Right. And Mark, he it's, it's worded this way. And so I want to deal with that. So, so I think it, it can sometimes, keep us from seeing what the author was intending us to see mm. in the way that he was wording it. And and so I just, I always want to be careful of that. I always want to try to look at it with fresh eyes and just say, okay, what is actually being said here? What is actually being asserted? 
what is the context? And so this is a really good example that, yes, of course, my mind goes to in the midst of storms where I'm able to have peace. But if you do that, then you gloss over the fact that they do not in that moment. Right. And then working through why do they not? And what did they not understand that now maybe I understand post-resurrection? Or what is it that they understand that I don't understand? Namely, what it's like to actually see the power of God on display. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's good. And and I think I'm really glad you addressed that that idea of understanding it was written that way for a reason. Right. right? The Holy Spirit inspired the author to write that way in a reason for a reason and and how we you know we love the facts and the details and and miss um the that you know john emphasizes this particular aspect of it because john thinks that's the most important aspect of it and sidebar he was inspired by the holy spirit as he felt drawn to emphasize that aspect so it's there it's being emphasized for a reason and if I go, well, I mean, the main point is this, but there's this other little, you know, insignificant detail in there, and I really want to lean into that, um, we're, we might be in danger of missing what the Holy Spirit actually wrote that narrative to accomplish. Yeah, you think? Yeah, and I think especially in the narrative passages, I'm, I'm guilty of this where the, the, there's an assumption that if I just had some extra information, then I could crack the code on on what this really means. And so we, I see people get distracted by, like, well, I don't know what that town is or even how to pronounce that. And I don't, you know, you, you'll hear someone preach and we'll give background information of, okay, well, this is, this is what tax collectors did and this is why this was important and this is why, you know, what they would have been, what they would have all understood. There are times where, that is helpful, um, extra knowledge that will just enlighten more. But what I found is that's that just speaks to the fact that God's word is so deep that you can be digging and digging and digging for your entire life, and you will never you'll just scratch the surface anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so yes, there are there are deeper levels of understanding. There are other things to understand in passages that you may not know um, if you don't if you're not armed with certain other information or understanding of like who the Pharisees are and what, you know, how are they viewed? But you can, like when God writes scripture through people, he knows, I mean, he's not unaware of that. He knows that, you know, in in 2000 years, like 2000 years later, people who don't know who Pharisees are, are going to be reading the same scripture. And so I think sometimes, like, if so if you're in that place where you feel like, okay, I'm reading the Bible, but I just don't have all this extra knowledge, which is why a lot of times people feel like I need to hear a sermon on it because I know you're going to give that extra information that I mm-hmm. need to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that keeps us from often understanding the most basic of things that are going on there. Yeah. And this passage is such a perfect example. If you just put yourself into that situation— and you just hear what Jesus is actually saying and what the disciples, how they respond, then we're confronted with some really big, uh, really big theological questions and truths that, that you don't need to know, you know, what exactly, how big was that sea and how big were those storms usually? Right. And what, 
was this way out of the ordinary and um, how far was the journey and you know all these different things that there could be other points that are helpful in that but they're not necessary to understand that they were really scared and then Jesus calmed all those the storms the things Jesus got rid of the things that scared them and they ended up even more scared yeah right well and and as you're saying that it makes me think like when I have put myself into that in that sense and I'm and I'm understanding a little better what they're actually feeling in that moment now we jump ahead to where you were a week ago Sunday and I hear that same I along with the apostles am hearing that same Jesus now say in this world you will have trouble right but take heart I have I have overcome the world and and I'm understanding this is this is being said now by the person that we all understand is so terrifyingly powerful and has demonstrated his absolute and total control over the world that 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 takes on such a more powerful understanding when he then says like be encouraged I, i've got this like I, I have this together and i am with you and i'm for you like that that's the appropriate time to apply what you understand about God from another area of right. Scripture into Scripture when you... Uh, and, and what we miss often when I am solely dependent on the sermon, I miss those connections because, mm-hmm. well, you preached about that six months ago or two years ago. Like, so I don't make that connection from Mark uh, into, you know, the current sermon series on John 15, right? But when I'm actually reading through scripture, it's maybe a few minutes before I see that connection, you know, or maybe just a couple days and I go, wait a minute, that's just what I, what I just read yesterday. They had this experience with Jesus and that totally changes how I now hear what they would have been hearing as that's the Jesus who's saying this. So when I'm purely sermon dependent, I'm, I'm incapable of making those kind of connections because I'm too disconnected. So it's, it really does speak to the importance of us being in the word in that way so that we are able to to see those connections over and over again. Yeah, and I think and that is so when I asked the question of like what are the positives of that? Like when is it a good thing? Well, you just touched on that and then I I, I think it was last was it last week when you we talked about the, had the question of well, but what about when Jesus gets angry? And that's another time where you see yes, he is clearly angry in this scene. He's like fashioning a whip and driving money changers out of the temple. But when you're reading that in context of who he is, one of the things you're going to realize is how uncommon that is. So then you got to ask the question of like, well, then what is it about this situation that draws this this reaction or this response from him that is so unlike 90% of his interactions with right. people? And that's when... And so you can't you can't just take that out and say like well Jesus was angry so I'm okay being angry, and or Jesus Jesus told this uh, woman to go and sin no more so I'm totally fine, I'm okay to go and just tell everybody in my office you know hey go and don't sin anymore don't sin anymore, like I wouldn't recommend that and if you say like well I was quoting Jesus, that's that's where you're not you're not looking at this as a whole and understanding, the whole of what's going on. Mm. The, the, what's what's normative for him? Who does he say these kinds of things to? 
Um, who does he not say these things to? But all of that then, if when people say like, well, then how are we supposed to know? And, and it all comes back then to something that I always find interesting is where we think that it's just about knowledge. We think if I know in what situation am I, am I supposed to say what thing? Like, how am I supposed to react in this situation? If I just learn all these different circumstances, how I'm supposed to react when somebody says this or when somebody does that, hmm. then then I'll be fine because then I'll know. But that that is the law. That's that's what we can't obey. Like we can't, it, we could come up with those. He could give us every list and say, when in 2000 years there will be cubicles and when you are sitting next to a, someone in your cubicle and they post this thing on the internet, this is how you should respond. Like, right. Right. First of all, that would be really big volumes of books. Can you imagine? Yes. Um, and irrelevant for like 2,000 years. And irrelevant for two 2,000 years. Some some monk in the year 400 is going, what on earth what, is a cubicle? What is cubicle? <laughs> what is social media? What? What is Facebook? Facebook? What? You know, and I think, so in that, so not only would, he, would that not make any sense, but even if you had it, we still wouldn't do it. Correct. And so ultimately, when people say, well, then how do we know? We only know by abiding in Christ. Right. We only know by listening to the Spirit, learning to discern His voice and obey it and practicing that. That's that's it. And then you you know these other stories and you hear these things. And so that helps provide framework and, and foundation and structure and kind of guardrails sometimes. There are mm-hmm. all those things where... You know, it protects you. So when he says, one command I give you, love one another, well, we have guardrails in Scripture. So when somebody says, well, it's loving to do this or that, well, then Paul says, well, this is what love is. Like, there's always these, these you know, fleshing out of these different things of, of what does it look like to love God and love others. Yeah. I feel like that kind of derailed. Did I go way off course? What? Oh, maybe not. Derailed in a good way. In a good way. Jumped onto the right track. So, so Robbie, uh, I I, I want to do one more here, okay. if we can. Um, and it kind because I think it pigtails, ta- dovetails. Nope, pigtails. dovetails. <laughs> yep, nope. Yeah, dovetails. <laughs> I think is where you were going with that. Well, it's because people may not know. I could, I actually have changed my hair. So, <laughs> oh. wait for the Sunday. Yikes. Um. Anyway, uh. The we've had people ask, like, okay, I, I get this. I'm supposed to be loving. They even understand that in that passage that the disciples thought that what they should be afraid of was was the storms around them, but yeah. Jesus is actually taking them into a situation where they're going to encounter demons. And so there are very real battles that are actually happening around us. Um and so then the question becomes, if I, if I understand that and I realize that these storms around us, the, the political division, the civil unrest, all these different things, these are the things that Jesus you know, says, this, this is always going to happen. You're always going to have these things, and you're going to have trials and tribulations in the midst of them. But, but he's promising that he has overcome it and mm-hmm. will overcome it. Yeah. Um, so then what do we do when we are surrounded by both Christians and non-Christians who are understandably really fixated on those storms Hmm. and on those external circumstances. And they just cannot, they can't draw their attention to anything else. How do we respond then without, um, without 
substantiating or or supporting those fears, but with also mm. without being dismissive or lacking, you know, empathy. Like, how do we do that? I think that's a really good question. Um, and it's tricky to answer because you set up the question by saying, and it's not just about knowledge of how to respond the right way. Right. So I feel like you sort of cut my legs off and then told me to run a sprint. Um, that's what I'm so, best at. <laughs> well, so how, but no, but that, that, that's a little tongue in cheek yeah. because I think, I think understanding that, that the answer to the question is not like, here's the three steps to do this perfectly every time. Now I, I do have some practical things that popped into my head as you, as you asked that question, but, um, but it's not an issue of like, how do I know the right responses to answer? Like what answers do right. I give? Uh, when, when that is our question, we're, we're already off course because our assumption is the solution is I have to speak the correct answers. And if I just fill that person's head with the right knowledge, all of this goes away, which we know never works ever. We can't point to a single time in our life where the answer was just, I felt very overwhelmed by this thing. And then this person told me, don't be overwhelmed. And I thought, I hadn't thought of that. Everything's fixed. Like that doesn't, that doesn't ever work. Um, and it's not what Jesus does, right? Je Jesus' response is, the, the first thing he does is, is he asks, well, why, why are you afraid and why I mean yes yes there is and because he knows their hearts there is a there is a tone of uh, of rebuke in there but but his first step is is he's acknowledging that they are legitimately afraid right and then and he's asking why so the first thing I think we do is we when when we're talking with somebody that and we actually care first of all we have to actually care right instead of just thinking oh how do I prove this person wrong um, we we actually care that they're hurting Yes. No matter how legitimate or illegitimate we think the reason is, our first step is acknowledge this is a soul that is hurting. And and I'm supposed to be an agent of compassion in this moment. And so in in light of that, I want to acknowledge that what what they're feeling to them feels very real. And and so like Jesus response isn't storms aren't scary, right? Like his, his response right. essentially is clearly you don't understand who's in the boat with you, right? But he doesn't say like, you should never be afraid of a storm. Um, but he's asking them, why, why, why are you guys afraid? And the faith is not in that faith that storms aren't a big deal. The faith is in who Jesus is. And so to first just acknowledge like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry that, that this, that this is overwhelming to you. And and, and if we agree that it is something difficult to be able to say like, yes, it, that, that's kind of scary to me too. Um, and not in the, yes, you should be afraid. Every, the sky is falling and every, you know, we have that tendency of, well, I need to encourage them by, by as you said, like uh, affirming you definitely should be afraid of this circumstance. That's not the same thing as just saying, I, I'm sorry that you are feeling so overwhelmed right now and acknowledge that that, that, that person's hurting. Um, the other thing that I'm going to want to do is, is, is remind that person or communicate to that person that, that Jesus is with them in that thing, right? Jesus, Jesus rebuke to the disciples is guys, I'm, in, I'm right here. I'm in the boat. And, and so to be able to acknowledge like 
Jesus is not surprised by this. He is not distant from this. He is he is in this with us. And then I think another practical thing that's really important to communicate in that is to to communicate to that person that you are with them in this. Yes. Right. Far too often our response is like the the drive by encouragement or drive by rebuke, and, and what we end up kind of doing is this. And this may be a bad illustration, but what just popped into my head is like the equivalent of I see somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road and I pull up next to him, roll my window down and tell him, hey, you're using that jack wrong and then peeling out <laughs> as opposed to like actually stopping. But isn't that loving? Because what if they are using it wrong? <laughs> right. And I am and I'm helping them by pointing out how wrong they are. Right. Like that that does literally nothing to help that person. Yeah. I mean, and. And even if it's correct, I'm going, okay, thanks for that. You know, what I really needed is someone to help me turn these lug nuts. Like, so versus actually stopping and saying, hey, like, let me, let me help you in that because I actually care about getting you back on the road, right? So to, to, to be able to come alongside that hurting person and say, I actually care that you're being sidelined by this right now. So rather than like just throwing some, almost certainly unhelpful piece of advice to be able to, to just sit with them in that and say, I don't, I don't want you to be overwhelmed. Here's, here are the things that I remind myself of who Jesus is and what he does in that. And, and I'm willing to sit here with you in this to see you through to the other side. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. I, I love asking the question why, and you know that we do this even with our yeah. elders and just, and in, in, as we're as we train people to try to be there for for others and to kind of dig a little bit, like one of the best questions is just to ask why. And and I don't know what the tone is when Jesus says, "Why are you afraid?" Yeah, is it is it? I mean, the storm has been calmed at that point, so maybe it is a reflective question. Maybe saying, "Why why are you afraid?" What what was so scary about that? And sometimes there's legitimate you know responses to that. But you can also then get to a place where you can have empathy. So you may not, you may not think this thing that's happened is anything worth being worried about or being concerned about. You just don't understand that. But a lot of yeah. times, the root issues could could be something that we can you can empathize with. Yeah. Like, so you may you may disagree on whatever political. Um, whatever political response to our current economic situation in the country is. And so if you're just there, like, well, I'm worried if this person gets elected, they're going to enact this policy and that's the worst. Well, if you think that policy is actually good, it may be hard to have empathy with that. Yeah. And you may end up arguing about whether that policy is good or bad, but rather I think the Christ-like response is to say, well, tell me what, what concerns you about that? What are you afraid is going yeah. to happen? And if their response is, I'm afraid I'm going to be out of a job. Right. And then I won't be able to pay my mortgage and my kids are going to go hungry. Well, now I can empathize with that. I can yep. say, yeah, that I can understand what that feels like. And, and, and you can have compassion on that and then turn that to the God who has all of those things under in, in his hands. Yeah, that's good. And if they're a believer, then encouraging them with that. Like, hey, remember, though, that not a single sparrow falls to the ground without without him. And so, and we are much more valuable than sparrows. So you don't need to be afraid. Or if it's a non-believer, then you can express compassion over that and introduce them to the one who has control yeah. over those things. So good. 
So I, I would encourage people to just find a point of empathy or compassion um, and and then understand that be mindful that these are temporary storms. That's not the thing that you tell somebody. Like you don't say like, well, this will, this will be over soon. Um, I mean, sometimes that's appropriate, but but not as like a clincher of like, well, then you shouldn't worry about it. Yeah. We know that all these things are temporary. That doesn't mean we don't grieve. Doesn't mean that we. So I think I think learning to grieve with people, learning to ask why, and learning to just grieve, um, and to be able to say, you know, that that is a scary thing, or that I do grieve, you know, for the loss of this, or whatever the case is. Um, but then showing your lack of dependence on that external circumstance being fixed for your joy and for your peace. Hmm. Love that, man. Hopefully that's that, helpful. That feels like a good place to wrap up. What do you say? Sure. Both of the questions that we dealt with today came from you guys. So we love getting those and we do respond. So please uh, keep those questions coming. Either grab us on a Sunday after service, send us an email, uh, fill out a communication card and drop that in and say question for the podcast, what, whatever. Um, we, we love getting the questions. It's really helpful for us to know what what are the things that you are wrestling with. We can we can try to come up with ideas of what we think would be relevant, but it's so much better if you actually ask the question so we can respond to what is actually relevant to you. So please keep those questions coming in. Uh, Church, we love you and appreciate you taking the time to grow in your understanding of how to love Christ and love others. So thanks for listening. Grace and peace to you. Mm-hmm.